celebrate the day, and then they just ran, screaming away, saying nothing to anyone. I looked up worst endings ever to shows, <laughs> and Game of Thrones was number one. I tried to binge watch that show, when, or that series, when I was in quarantine for pneumonia about a year and a half ago, because, you know, I was doing quarantine before it was cool. But I got really bored, actually, with the show. I guess I'm unique. And it sounds like I dodged a bullet, because everyone apparently hated the ending. Well, maybe Mark should be on that list as well of bad endings. I mean, Pastor Bill and I have been binge preaching on Mark since before Christmas. And now this? This is how we end? Now, to be clear, many people think that there might be more to Mark's story that maybe got lost in some of the oldest manuscripts. I don't know, maybe Mark was in the Roman Costco or something like that during a pandemic and, you know, left his gospel in the paper towel section and, you know, when it was all gone. I don't know. But some people think that that ending has been lost. And you can also, if you open your Bibles or a pack, see right there that there is a kind of a parenthesis with a shorter ending to Mark and a longer ending to Mark that others added later because they looked at this story and said, no, 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 that can't be it. we gotta, we got to wrap this up somehow, make it a little bit neater. And I get that. Because two things I can tell you. First, the ending to Mark is pretty terrible. It is. And second, it's my absolutely favorite ending, my favorite telling of the Easter story. And there are so many reasons First, <clears throat> first it's, uh, the story really draws me in because it's so real. And maybe it draws you in as well because, I mean, what would you do if you were following a great leader who was unjustly killed and, and when you went to the grave to see this, this person, to give them one last gift? There was some young messenger of God telling you, He's alive. The women were terrified and said nothing to anyone. And that sounds about right to me. In fact, it's pretty consistent with humanity's reaction to miracles, and especially to the messengers who tell them. I mean, maybe today we would lean more on kind of some, some sort of skepticism or maybe trying to explain it away in some scientific way, but the result is pretty much the same. Walking away in unbelief, in fear. From the human side of things, this story is not our best story overall, and certainly it's a disappointing ending. In fact, it has dawned on me throughout this Lenten season as we have been focused on the journey of God's people through the wilderness. You can see the artwork on the wall, and this final one here I'll talk about in a minute, but, but the artwork on the wall that kind of tells in pictures a little bit of that wilderness journey that we've been on uh, throughout these, this Lenten season, throughout these Wednesday nights. The human story in this has been pretty terrible. And we know the beginning of that story into the wilderness pretty well, how God frees the people from slavery in Egypt through Moses. In fact, this last piece of art here uh, above the flowers, this last one that was done by our artist-in-residence, uh, Julie Ennebo, 
is it shows this event. You can see here how Moses just passes through on dry land. He's not causing the water to part. He's just benefiting from God's miraculous action, and he's, and he's celebrating as well. I know she was wanting him to be like almost in the midst of a cheer. Now, apologies to, uh, to, to Julie, because she probably didn't intend this, but that wave reminded me a little bit of the movie Moana. <laughs> in that movie, Moana takes on a mission she's totally unprepared to accomplish. And in her biggest misses, and in her darkest moments, the ocean is there to push her, or to pull back, and to reveal something to her, to, her, to encourage her, and to, and to give her the truth in the midst of her darkness. Moses didn't part the Red Sea. God did that. God made the impossible possible. The people were trapped. And even in the, even in the midst of their fear, even in the midst of their temptation to bolt, to run away, to scatter like the women this morning, God made it possible. In the lesser-known story, at the end of the wilderness journey, God again parts the waters of the Jordan so that the begin to take hold of the land that is being given to them. Last time they were in that spot, 40 years before they were sent back into the wilderness. Last time they were there, they panicked about the people and the land. Oh my gosh, they're giants and their cities are fortified. We'll never be able to take it over. And they tried to run away. They even tried to run back to slavery. Run back to the tomb. And running away. Raise your hand if you're sensing a theme today, a theme in the story of God's people. In these stories, God acts to bring people over from death to life, to cross over the waters, over from slavery into freedom. That is what God does. That's the personality of God, I like to say. It's just who God is. And I think that's why these stories are told and many others like that. It feels to me like today, we, we kind of live today thinking we are supposed to, to kind of live out some perfect story. Or even that we are entitled somehow to this great story. Or maybe we just think we have to be heard, we have to be recognized in order for our life to matter. And is it just me, or does, does that lead to an enormous amount of pressure and stress in our lives. All of the focus on me. And that leads to guilt and disappointment. It may even lead to shame that we bear. Oh, I should have done, I could have done, I, I wish I would have. You see, the Bible tells great stories, but their focus is entirely different than what we get in the pressures of our culture today. You see, the focus includes these human stories. It wraps up these human stories, our stories. But the stories of humanity are not the focus. If it was, the, the whole book would actually be a pretty terrible story. It would be on that list as well. The stories instead focus on what God is doing in spite of all of these messed up humans and their stories. And is it just me again? Or is that Carry that to today. Our 
message, unbelievable, apparently. And in their kind of hell of a story week, they get a heaven of a story. Sometimes people say, you know, that common saying, I'll say sure as hell. And, and I'm like, why are you so sure about that? How about sure as heaven? Do we have that saying instead? <laughs> sure as the resurrection, sure as hope, sure as love. In the story of God, we can say those things with confidence. The story they get is more than just an informational message. This word holds promise that takes all of the stories of this of the dismal last few days and, and really all of the human story. It's the pinnacle of God's story with us. The story of redemption. You see, once again, God will act to bring these women and all of us over from death and into life. Not by our goodness, not by our entitlement, not by our getting some magical life formula just right, but only through God's act of life-giving love. Now first, this, this messenger recognizes their fear and gives them a word of calm. We know this formula from Mary and from other revelations. Don't be afraid that there's some glowing guy in a white robe inside a place where you thought there'd be the body of Jesus. <laughs> Don't be afraid, Mary, that you're going to have the Son of God born to you as a teenager. And once again, it doesn't work. <laughs> They're still afraid. And that's pretty normal. I think that's where I'd be as well. God's been working on me for over 50 years, and I still don't quite work right. You know? Their fear is real, and apparently it's lasting. But the messenger speaks a word of peace to them anyway. And then he acknowledges why they are there. They're there for Jesus. Their stories have become wrapped in Jesus' story, but they are understandably stuck at Jesus being wrapped in death. And it's really hard to get out of that mindset. But then the man does something incredible. He asks them to be witnesses. In the midst of their fear, he just continues on and asks them to witness to this. Those who sometimes feel the need to argue that the resurrection really happened, factually this, that, and the other thing, they often point to the fact that women were not recognized in Jesus' day as credible witnesses. You just don't make with women witnesses in a believable story in that time. Apparently they never met my wife, who has an incredibly photographic memory. She can recall all of my foolishness, word for word. I'm more of an apply. I like to explain what I really meant, but this is what he said. Anyway. <laughs> I'm not sure why this was the mindset, but did you know that every single resurrection story in every single gospel has women as central witnesses? The fact that the messenger commands them to be the first tellers of this miraculous news means that God trusts them with the message. And apparently it eventually gets out. But God lifts up those considered lowly by, by a world that would keep them out of the story. And God puts them instead at the center. Then the word, that command to go, tell the disciples and Peter. Wait a second. Isn't Peter one of the disciples? Okay, if you were here on Good Friday, I want you to help me out. Whether you were tuning in from abroad or, or here physically. What did Peter do? 
where Peter is stuck in guilt and shame for denying he knew Jesus. The risen Christ is filled with forgiveness and new life even for him. I love how Professor Rolf Jacobson said it this week. He said Peter is an example of how even our breakup with God will not be nailed down, will not be set in stone. Not even betrayal, not even denial are found in this tomb. Peter's breakup is not here. It has been transformed. We see the results of that in our first reading for today, a reading that takes place years after Jesus' resurrection. Peter, who was always trying to control the story in Mark, who was always messing up. Peter, who in the end turns his back on Jesus and denies he knows him. Peter is brought over from death to life. He will still struggle. He will ultimately be killed for his faith. His story will be ended by the violence of the world, and he'll get it wrong sometimes. But he is still in the story because he has been taken by the risen Christ over from death and into life again. Life as a joyful and as an active disciple. And he passes that promise on to a household of those who had formerly been kept out, restricted by others from access to God. Right here, in this story and in the sacrament of baptism, the promise of God takes that family, takes us on the final water, water crossing God gives to us. Our sinful selves drowned God-created self raised up. God meets us here in this font, in the final water crossing from death to life, carrying us over where we can't go on our own, where our story, no matter how incredible it is, won't take us. See, this is the beautiful paradox of the resurrection story in Mark. Jesus is not here. running at me. 
some women in this place. He called another woman with a very broken past and, and a very broken present as well. They called her their friend. And they treated her with a kindness for years and years that showed her a glimpse of life in Christ, what new life means as death tried to swallow her up. Well, there are a million tales of people living greater stories than their own because they believe promise of the messenger this day. And they are not so much heroes as they are hearers. So hear this today, brothers and sisters of Christ. Jesus is not stuck in the story of death, and so neither are we. His life-giving story brings you and me over from death to life. You are his witnesses right here in Galilee, in Silverdale, in Coldwell, in Bremerton, in Fort Orchard. In Jefferson County, 